The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery podcast. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. We're basically a couple of recovery nerds and ordained unity ministers sharing our experience, strength, and hope on this spiritual journey of addiction recovery. We hope that something you hear today will be helpful to you on your own recovery journey. We invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Just send an email to spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. And Facebook users, you can message us from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And however you choose to reach out, be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. Today's episode is titled, There's Power in the Group. It has been said that nobody can do our inner work for us, but we cannot do it alone. We need the company of others on the recovery path in order to truly thrive. This can be challenging to many who are new to addiction recovery because we can be used to doing things our way. But if we're willing to become one of the bunch, we will discover the group to be a profound healing influence. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on finding a path to freedom and peace through the power of community. Yes, well, I am an only child, and I come from a very small family, so this idea of being part of a group is really something that's pretty foreign to me. Um, I spent a lot of time alone as a child. I'm an Aries, if that's relevant. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm independent. I like to do things my own way. Um, and so that was a little bit difficult for me when I first came into recovery because I was being asked to sort of suspend my own, um, you know, this idea that I really didn't know. I mean, I didn't know it was all new to me and I had to, I had to listen to other folks and, I'm so glad I had that experience because I think it really prepared me for a lot of things in life. It sort of um, went a long way towards filling in some of the gaps that I had in my own upbringing, you know, of, of, of being part of something, um, learning to listen to other people's um, opinions and advice and suggestions, uh, being accountable to other people. That was all very new to me. Um, But I think 
that those were all really valuable experiences. And certainly, as I look back now, were preparing me for ministry work, right? We're preparing me to be part of a church because that came, I, I found unity about a year into my sobriety. So, um, and, you know, being part of a church is also being part of a group and being accountable to other people and um, belonging and not sort of just, you know, because I was this like, you know, I can do it myself. I do it my own way, you know, just sort of powering through everything. And so I think that this process softened me a bit and helped me learn to listen to others. Um, I have that sort of terminal uniqueness thing that a lot of us suffer from, but I know I certainly do where I can always tend to feel like that may work for you, but I'm different. <laughs> I'm somehow so terminally unique that this thing that's worked for millions of others is, is not gonna work for me. And, and I admit that I've had to sort of within the structure of 12-step recovery had to do things a little bit my own way, you know, because that's just my nature. But um, definitely the community and the group um, is such a huge part of recovery and so healthy for us, I think, to learn to be a part of. Yeah, man, I, the same for me. And you know what? I was just thinking as you said that, I, I suspect that we're all, maybe all is too extreme, but it seems to me there's a reason why everything we encounter in the program is a suggestion, right? Because we don't take orders, right? We might right. be willing to consider a suggestion and we may have to improve it a little bit, you know, like you said, but everything's yeah. a suggestion. So in, yeah. in, I'm thinking about my experience of, sort of lack of community or separation and you know we talk about this a lot because it's such a it's so common and such a strong factor in addiction i've heard even addiction described as a you know disease of isolation yeah. it's almost like the lack of connection is at the root of it and you know yeah. i don't know if that's true or not but i could kind of see why some might say that and i know for me uh generally in my life leading up to and maybe even into uh, recovery at first especially but this is really fading away or has faded substantially is the idea that i had to solve every problem yeah. and meet every challenge literally myself right and and it, it was just so ingrained in me well no i shouldn't say it that way because that implies that somebody else put it there i mean i think i decided that it was better to just deal with everything myself than it was to involve other people. It was somehow safer, you know, emotionally safer. I don't know what, if I could just take care of it myself. And even I remember as a little kid, you know, kind of having this mantra, I want to do it myself. Leave me alone. You know, yeah. Here, let's wash your face with this washcloth. No, I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. Um, and that stuck with me forever. Right. And that's a, that's kind of a burden, right? I mean, I, yeah. I can understand why, why one would drink, why I would drink, um, given carrying the weight of having to do everything myself and not really having skills around working well with others, because yeah. like you, you know, I was pretty sure I knew the, the, the right way. And I didn't want others sort of complicating things, slowing me down. I don't even know. I don't even know what I thought, except that I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to do it myself and I didn't want to get anyone else involved. And that's something, you know, that, that was very strong in me for a very long time. I mean, I think that 
you know, some of it can just be personality. And I think that some of it comes from early childhood experiences where maybe we didn't get the support that we needed. And so we concluded that it was best to just figure it out ourselves, you know, not, not putting the blame on our parents per se or whatever, but, you know, I think it's something that gets conditioned in us. It's like, you know, I'm just going to handle this myself because that's the safer way to go. And sort of in our defense a little bit, it's very cultural. It's very United States, very Western, um, you know, this rugged individualism that is such a malignancy in our culture. Um, you know, it's the American way, um, as opposed to, you know, some Eastern cultures that are much more group oriented. You know, it's just, we're, we're sort of um, loosely talking about the first tradition today. And so I pulled it up on my computer to just jog my memory. The first tradition says our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. So imagine if our country embraced that you know, that the common welfare should come first and that our own success depends on the success of the whole, it's completely foreign to our American mentality. I mean, we just have this concept that every man for himself, and if you're, if you're a strong, capable person, you'll pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know? So it's definitely ingrained in us from a young age. Um, yeah, what was I just going to say about that? I just lost my train of thought. Um, so being part of a group and um, belonging to something, that was very foreign to me. Uh, like I say, I have a very small family. I didn't do a lot of group stuff. Like I wasn't a Girl Scout. I, you know, I didn't have all those experiences. And so I'm someone that tends to like on the I'm I'm sort of simultaneously a part of and not a part of at the same time, if you know what I mean, like, like I'm part of the group. But again, there's that terminal uniqueness always in my mind that like I can be part of a group and still feel like I'm not part of it, like I'm I'm an outsider. So um, being part of the the group and 12 step program was helpful to me, but it didn't entirely cure that. Like there's still that part of me that's like, oh, well, there's all these people that are sort of really together in it. And I'm sort of on the periphery. I, you know, I think it's just sort of my personality, but this idea that um, putting the good of the group ahead of the good of the individual and, and it doesn't have to mean you know, that we don't get taken care of too, but it's this concept of caring about others and not just ourselves. And, and I don't know, for me, for this only child of a single parent household, you know, who just was always alone and independent and did everything myself, it was a very, and continues to be a very good experience for me to be part of something that is so close knit, like, like our church family and like the 12 step program, because like I say, it has softened that in me. It's helped me to be a lot more aware of, um, of other people, really, because I'm perfectly capable of going through life just like, you know, tunnel vision. Um, and so that those um, contexts are, they're expanding for me, challenging, but they expand me. They help me to be less self-focused and more aware of the group dynamic and process. And I think that's been really healthy for me. Yeah, I mean, same here. I was just thinking that, you know, one of the outcomes of this 
strong need that I've had to do everything myself is that uh, I didn't develop skills around, you know, working with others, but in particularly yeah. like communicating. So I was very reluctant to share with anyone how I was feeling. Mm. Right. And that is a dangerous thing to bury over, you know, years and, and decades and, and whatnot. And so I have, you know, I have had the great fortune to get into recovery and to um, develop skills for sharing how I feel and being able to talk and, you know, not just, I, I distinctly remember sort of knowing exactly what I wanted to say, but it was, I was incapable it's like my mouth would not work. Mm. I couldn't do it. It was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't even know. I just, I know that kind of stuck feeling. And ironically now, right, give me a microphone and you might have to have that hook, right, to pull me off the stage. Now I won't <laughs> shut up. I wouldn't yeah. talk forever. Now I won't shut up. <laughs> but that is far preferable. If you yeah. ask me, in my experience, willingness to share, um, you know, even to be a person that, that says more words maybe than somebody might have to. I don't care. This is way better than saying no words and really not having um, connection skills. So yeah. this this ability to share what's going on with me, uh, honestly, or as a, I've heard a spiritual principle said as, um, I tell the truth and I tell it quickly. So mm -hmm. my willingness to, to do that um, opens the door to what, is a truly healing part of all this was which is a heart connection yeah right that that for me came after some time right even though i had i had stumbled into a unity church at, you know a few years before i got sober you know i wasn't i didn't really get it until mm. i got in the program only then was you know dots started to get connected in a way mm. that they never had it went from an interesting idea to an essential way of being in the world yeah um and i was able to move from you know not not able to talk to at least learning how to talk and then uh, building on top of that to make heart connections which is the <laughs> core of community right yeah yeah, the other thing that's been really helpful for me about the group process is learning how to just be one of the group, because it's like, first, I didn't really want to be one of the group, but if I am going to be one of the group, I want to be the hot shot. I want to be the leader. You know what I mean? And so um, the 12-step program taught me how to just be one of the bunch. And, and I love that's sort of one of our informal teachings, right, is how to be just a man among men, a human among humans, a drunk among drunks, whatever. Um, because like I say, my tendency is if I'm going to be part, I want to be special and I want to be the big shot. And so um, what was really great for me was learning how to do stuff like show up and just make the coffee. You know, that's not a hot shot position. Although people are great, they're grateful, but that's not something like, like I want to be, you know, I want to be the one woman show. And so for me to just show up and make coffee and just zip it and just sit down and be part of the group, um, that was a really good lesson for me and, ha you know, continues to be any kind of service um, position. And that's why we have, that's why we 
like in 12 step groups, why we break that. I mean, a lot of these things could be done by one person, but we break it up into a bunch of different people, right? You put out the pamphlets, you make the coffee, you, you know, greet the people, whatever. Um, so that a lot of different people are involved. And that teaches us how to just be one among many, how to be right-sized, how to, how to do our small part, which is an essential part, but is a small part. It's not being the center of attention. It's just being part of the group. And again, not having been part of a family, not having siblings, I didn't learn that. Like the idea of contributing to a group process was not was completely foreign to me to just show up and do my little piece and then sit down and be quiet. Um, I think that was really good for me. And then that kind of service continued as I became involved in a unity church. You know, I mean, I start it's it is ironic. I realize now that I'm now, you know, a minister, but I spent 20 three years not being a minister, being, you know, being one of the congregation and starting out with very small things like ushering or, you know, whatever, small, you know, running the PowerPoint, um, you know, things like that. And um, so the thing about those things is they build self-esteem in us, right? Because when we show up and we do a small job that we aren't getting a bunch of credit for, somehow that builds self-esteem. You know, it's like, I'm thinking this relates to some Bible verse, and I'm sure you can pull it up, but it's this idea that if you do this, like, big thing, that's the reward in itself. If you do this small thing that's just contributing, then you get rewarded spiritually. Yeah, yeah. So um, just showing up and doing a small part and then feeling a part of, you know, I, I found that, that that kind of small service positions what, was what really started to help me feel like I was part of the group because I was doing my piece. Um, and, and like I say, in church as well as in 12-step, um, that helped me begin to feel like I belonged. And that feeling of belonging, I think, is really important to us. And, you know, like I say, I always am going to have that little bit of me that feels like it doesn't belong, and that's okay. I learned to just live with that. But the sense of belonging at all, belonging to something bigger than just me, has been hugely important in my recovery and my spiritual journey. I think that's why the group process works is we all need something to belong to, whether we come from a big family or not. We need something that um, we weren't born into, something that these people are actually choosing to associate with us. You know, they're not obligated to. <laughs> well, some of them are. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, for a short time, 30 days, said the judge. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. You know, I'm thinking about um, that idea of how me, I, I was, and many of us are sort of, you're talking about being self-centered, like to be the important one, yeah. or somehow I am important, but everyone hasn't figured it out yet, or something like that. And that's, that's I think that's such a common place to be for, for us in recovery. I remember, so I got into recovery, and then I left town for a few years where I went to seminary. When I came back three years later, I was asked to speak because I hadn't been around in a while. And the person who has to line up speakers is like, you, 
I'm like, okay, yes, I'll speak. And and I made the joke that um, I was amazed that the group had somehow figured out how to survive without me. Oh. And of course, everyone laughed because yeah. re- what a ridiculous idea. That group started in 1945. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, I, I hope they did okay without me. I've been gone for a while. <laughs> and so I, you're in good company with that. Yeah. We're, all, we're all learning ble- that lesson or unlearning whatever it is that got us there. But one of the things that community means to me is about shared experience, right? Yes. And so I, I, I began to see this and take this in and really learn this in, in the halls, uh, in the recovery rooms, in both past experience and present experience. And so people would talk about, you know, wh- whatever was coming to mind for them for the topic. And I would often hear something from the past, you know, some things someone had done or ways that they thought or ways that they felt. And so I could identify with a lot of what I heard. It's like, oh yeah, I know, I know how that feels. I've done stuff like that too. So I'm I'm getting the shared experience from the past, but also at the same time, people would of course share what's going on with them right now. Yeah. And I found once again, man, I have all this shared experience right here in the present in addition to anything I might have um, had in common with folks in the past and so early on that's what community began to mean to me and that always stuck it didn't change I think things got added to it but that idea that we have so much shared experience even though I'd never met these people but there we were kind of dancing the same dance so to speak in life and really being able to relate. I mean, I could relate to most of what I heard, not everything, yeah. of course, but but most of it, I could find yeah. something in it that I'm like, yeah, I, I really get that. Yeah. And, you know, they always tell us, well, if you can't relate to the actual thing that they're sharing, see if you could relate to the feelings. And I found that I almost always could, you know, people from totally different walks of life than me with very different experiences, but I could relate to the feelings underneath the experience that they were sharing. I think that's why the group process is so healthy and why so many, you know, there's so many, you know, grief groups and recovery groups and all these kind of things, because we tend to feel so isolated and like, I'm the only one having this experience, even, I don't know, something in our human nature that tells us that because like intellectually, we can realize, of course, other people have this experience. There's seven, well, there's almost about to be 8 billion people on this planet, you know, but for some reason we think we're the only one that feels that way. And then we hear all these other people saying they feel that way too. And it breaks through that isolation, you know, it it breaks, it begins to break down that terminal uniqueness, because the terminal uniqueness is lonely, right? Like, we might think it's really great that we're so wonderfully unique, but ultimately, it's a lonely place. What human beings really want is to connect with other human beings. That's what we need for healthy living, you know. And so as we go to meetings and we hear people sharing things and we relate to them and they have the same feelings and experiences as us, it breaks through that isolation and begins to break down our walls and break down all the barriers we've built up. And like you say, we have that heart connection. And I think that's what's really healing. And the other thing is we learn so much about human nature. Like, Nobody could possibly know more about human nature than a recovering alcoholic that sat in literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of meetings, right? I mean, we hear it all. Yeah. 
But that helps us because one of the things that got us there was not understanding our fellow human beings, right? Not knowing how to relate to them and deal with them. So we really need that intensive human nature training, you know, to begin to understand our fellow human beings and um, what makes them tick and, and, you know, because we have to learn how to, uh, how to, like you say, develop better interpersonal skills and, um, I just think we just learned so much in the in the rooms, you know, it's crazy. There's just it's just not even I mean, just showing up and observing. You can just learn so much if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you know, and, and your yeah. heart is open. Yeah. You can really just sit there and study human beings and learn so much and then take that knowledge and use it to learn how to be one among many, how to be a part of the group. Um, and none of us does it perfectly, but that's, we're all learning together. You know, that's the beauty of it. Yes. You know, the, the I want to share an example of a kind of connection that was totally unexpected. So this was, I mean, I can picture it. So this was the meeting after the meeting, probably, it could have been before, but we're standing outside the building and, and a guy that I know was talking to some people and I kind of wandered up to stand in that circle. And he was saying, I heard this statement come out of his mouth he said i i felt i felt bad for things i didn't even do <laughs> as soon as he said that i realized i'm the same way yeah i didn't know that until he put it into words oh. and i instantly connected wow. with it's that it's just being that sort of sensitive person i had a i had a um counselor in rehab tell me in, in an exit interview that my problem uh is that i love everyone and I knew that he was right. Now, I don't think that's a magnanimous thing. I think we all can do that and get there. But I think a lot of us in recovery have that issue. We really mm -hmm. do care about other people. We yeah. just get lost in how to manage life around it. And, you know, I end up drinking to try and to try and bridge the gap. Right. So I want to share something that, you know, thinking about, so how did the, how did community, specifically the recovery community, but also church community and just community in general, how did community help me move from separation to connection? And, and a couple of things. One is I learned to share with others what was going on with me. Yeah. Right? We talked about that. And, and this took a while. I learned to share what was going on with me without an agenda, mm. without trying to you know, make a, a, make a point or be funny or say something profound or whatever, just to say what was going on without an agenda, without some kind of outcome in mind, without trying to get any kind of reward for anyone. And also at the same time, because in order to do that, I had to learn to listen to others without feeling the need to reply. Mm, yes, that's a great skill say, we learn. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that happened to me too. Yeah, but I did it this way. You know, wh wh what is what is what do I have to do with what that person just shared? Nothing. Yes. So it's a lot. Life is just a lot easier when I can just let what they share be what they share, and it, I don't have to do yeah. anything other than experience it, hearing it. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, yep. oh my gosh, what what a what a tremendous weight off my shoulders when I finally, you know, slowly over time learned that, that ability. And I learned it from being in community, yes, a spiritual community with specifically here, people in recovery. 
Yeah. So if you're not super familiar, what Dan is referring to is the tradition, and I think it's a part of all 12-step programs, that we call no crosstalk. So when a person shares, they share their piece, and then that's it. Then someone else shares. But there's no um, responding to the person. We don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, or you should. There's there's no giving advice. There's no responding in any way. In fact, even to refer to what the other person said would be considered crosstalk. So I had never thought about that, but what that is really a great skill that we learn in yeah. the rooms and also I think prepared us for ministry and possibly prepares people for other types of listening. Um, I think it does work because I had to learn to not do it even in my head. Yeah. Because yeah. certainly you're right that you weren't you weren't to do that in the room, but I had to learn to stop doing it in my head even. So after years and years of experiencing that way of um interacting as a group where there's no crosstalk have you ever been in a situation where that wasn't the rule and it made you really uncomfortable like you wanted to tell people stop stop like don't you know where it wasn't like a like it's a definite rule in 12 step but um i don't know i'm thinking like maybe in prayer chaplain meetings or whatever other types of meetings where it's not really a rule but it probably would be a good one and people respond and i kind of want to be like whoa you know just just let their share be like don't i think it's i know what you mean because we're Right. We're fixers. We're addicted to fixing many of us. And, yeah. and when I began to understand that about myself, of course, what do I do? I see it in the world all around me. And yeah. I, I, I mean, that's an ongoing challenge is how do I, yeah. what is mine to do? Like, who, I want to say something, but who made me the teacher? Why yeah. am I all of a sudden the teacher? Unless it's literally at church where they hired me to be the teacher, then maybe right. there's something, maybe something that I could say. But, but yes, even sometimes, of course, we learned that one of the best things we can do, even as a minister, is just listen and not fix, right? Unless we're specifically yep. asked for. Um, I was thinking about how I, I did um, a couple of weeks of outpatient um, sort of workshops at a recovery center. And um, it was interesting when someone would start to cry somebody else would right away grab a box of tissues and shove it in their face. And the facilitator told us to stop doing that, that we were stopping their emotions, that we were trying to comfort them because it was making us uncomfortable. Exactly. And we had to learn to not do that. And I kind of wish we applied that in 12-step programs. I I kind of try not, so I don't do that myself. I don't shove a box of tissues in someone's face. Um, I think it also that process sort of trains us to let people have their emotions and we're the ones that are uncomfortable with their emotion. You know, they, they can find the box of Kleenex. They're capable of reaching out and finding it if they want it. But when we so quickly move to comfort the person, we may be stopping them from having some sort of a breakthrough or a realization that they need to have. And we're also basically telling them, I'm not comfortable with your display of emotion. You need to stop. Yeah. And so I think that's a good lesson for all of us, especially those of us in helping professions to, you know, get more comfortable with letting other people share what's going on with them. And that not only is it not our job to fix it, we can't fix it, you know, and and just a general rule for human beings. When someone says, you know, I'm really sad, it's not for us to say, oh, cheer up, you know, or, oh, you know, don't be sad. Why do we say that? Don't be sad. They are sad for God's sake. You know, we all need to get a little more comfortable with just letting people have their emotions and um, not trying to, uh, what do you call it? Like just, you know, truncate them 
with some sort of ejection fixing, like it's that. all it's fixing, all some yeah. form of fixing and and i love what you just shared about the box of kleenex and i learned somewhere along the way and in any workshop that i do one of the heart agreements is if someone is upset do not touch them yeah don't go give them a hug because when we do that we're telegraphing to them this is not okay i need you to stop and they yep. need to have that yep. experience and usually there's no pushback, but I have seen it happen where if someone, you know, like disagreed, that's not right. And, da, 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 and we get to have a little discussion around it. Yep. But most 99.9% .9 of the time people can honor that. But it's exactly yeah. what you're saying. We're, yes. we're blocking. Because yep, I thought because that we're was weird when I first heard it. I thought it was weird. Yeah. Like it's unkind not to. Right. It's, offer it's impolite. Or whatever. Hey, yeah. it's time for us to move into recovery for a nutshell. Believe it or not, this is where we try to summarize some of the pieces of all this that we found most helpful. So yeah. if we look back at all that we had said and pretend that someone walks up to us and says, Hey, Reverend Michelle, uh, give me the short version. I'm not a quote joiner. I'm not a joiner. How am I going to find connection so that I can recover? What might you offer if you just had a minute? So none of us are joiners, really, I would say right off. I mean, so many of us feel like we're not joiners. And yet here we are a part of this thing. So first of all, just know that that's a totally normal feeling um, to feel like you're not a joiner. And just, you know, you don't have to join anything. There's no entrance fee. There's no membership, um, you know. But like I say, the the showing up, even if you don't have an official um service position, put away a chair, greet a newcomer, pick up a, you know, coffee cup you see lying there, just start to do small things. And then when it's time, when you're ready, offer, you know, to be the coffee person or to put out the pamphlets or whatever it is. I don't know if they even still do pamphlets. I'm such an old timer. I have no idea if they still even have that. But... They do. They do. Okay, they do. All right, good. Um, so just, you know, uh, starting to do those small things that can help you be a part of the group and feel like you're contributing and like you belong. But like I say, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be the 12 step rah, rah person. You, you don't, it, you don't, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Just keep coming back, show up at each meeting with an open heart, be a part of it and see what you can learn. And don't worry about joining anything because there really isn't anything to join. We're, we're not a membership. We're just a loosely affiliated group of people trying to help one another. So yeah, don't get caught no, up on that. No dues or fees, as we say. No dues or fees, nothing to join. So what, what I had jotted down is I considered that that question was, uh, you know, once again, almost exactly what you had said. Our phrase one day at a time comes to mind. Just, you know, don't worry about it too much. Just be willing to show up and to, you know, be in whatever it is that's going on. Stay open to possibilities. You know, it's got to pay attention to what are you hearing that, that makes sense. And then I have to share this off-color comment that I had heard early on, probably my first year. And this stuck with me. A woman that had been there for a long time who was very um, outgoing and funny said, we learned this program by osmosis, right? You come and put your butt in the seat every time and you will learn this. It That's seeps all up you have to do. Just show up, suit up yep. and show up one day at a time. This it's really true. Yeah. Well, as always, we have an affirmation for you, and this is our affirmation today. 
As I listen to and share with others, I experience positive, supportive, loving connection. And once again, as I listen to and share with others, I experience positive, supportive, loving connection. And that is a wonderful thing. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another episode of Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful. We hope that you have found something in all of our clacking today that you find genuinely helpful in your own recovery. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And as always, we invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. You can find us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, or you can email us at spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll join us again. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.